Hey there, business gators, and welcome to Behind the Suits, the official podcast of the UF Cat Mentors. Before we get into today's topic, I just want to go over some of the key dates that are coming up for the end of February. Tonight, February 17th, from 6 to 7, we have the Find Your Match event, where our caps will be guiding you and giving you tips on how to find the companies that best align with your values and your interests. On February 18th, tomorrow, we have the This or That Accounting webinar series at 6 p.m., where our accounting caps will be giving you recruitment tips and advice on accounting careers. We also have the second part to that accounting series on February 22nd at 6 p.m. And you will once again be receiving tips and you can ask any questions um, and really figure out the educational pathways for an accounting career. So make sure you write all those dates in your planner um, and you start registering for those events. And now to introduce our special guest, Kenya. Hi, how are you guys? Uh, my name is Kenny Triago. I went to uh, the University of Florida f- uh, for my graduate degree. I got my MBA in 2014. Uh, my concentration was in supply chain management. Previous to that, I had gone to Columbia University, graduated in 2010 with a degree in political science, um, and then just uh, worked besides that, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yes, we definitely will. Um, So following along with that brief intro you just gave, Kenya, would you just tell me a little bit about your career exploration journey and how you ended up at P&G since obviously very interesting that your undergraduate degree was a little different than what you ended up doing? Yeah, so, you know, I I have really circuitous routes to P&G, and that's really an understatement. Um, I went back to school as an adult after having run an operations department. And that operations department was at a ticket broker. And we were transitioning from paper stock and being a local market distributor where we would, uh, you know, cater to white shoe law firms and big investment banks to then becoming wholesalers, especially after everything became e-tickets. So I was there while the company grew. And really fleshing out processes and, and understanding procurement. Um, but I knew that I wanted to go back to school. And when I went back to school, I, I attempted econ and there was way too much math for that. <laughs> so I went into political science and there is a natural progression with political science and, and business. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of people don't realize that. And I think poli-sci makes you think um, really linearly, really, you know, makes you understand actions and consequences, really and makes you, makes you really get how you could get from point A to point B systematically. Um, it, it helps you think critically. Uh, and that was really, really important when I started thinking about what I wanted to do. Um, after, my, after my MBA, I got a job with um, the Eaton Corporation, great company. Uh, I was in their automotive group. I went to Michigan and Michigan just wasn't the place for me. Um, it just wasn't what I wanted. And, and the automotive industry um, is a very particular industry, you really kind of have to want to be in there. It's an older industry. Um, So after that, I went to New York Life um, and I was in their partner program and I was very excited about the idea of um, recruiting and, and, you know, bringing in talent, giving people a shot, helping them create their own businesses with their own careers. Um, But I realized that sales wasn't, it just wasn't a fit. So started looking around again and I decided to go back to what I know, which is purchasing and supply chain. Um, recruited uh, through a career fair, an MBA career fair in October, um, went through their assessment interview process, um, and that turns out the 
two people that I interviewed with separately were both fighting for me. So I could have either been in the capital investment group buying large pieces of property or, you know, equipment or the media group. And luckily I got put in with the media group. Um, <laughs> so I actually buy digital media for the fabric care um, business unit, which Tide, Bounce, Downey, all that stuff. So I do all the digital buy. So if you happen to see the Snapchat filter of uh, Snapchat lens for the Super Bowl, I negotiated that, you know, uh, really cool companies. You know, I have had a late night meeting on Friday with TikTok and saw how the sausage was made. <laughs> so really that's, interesting. That's super, super cool. And I can definitely say I'm definitely a loyal PNG customer when it comes to detergent and the unstoppable <laughs> beads. So that's awesome. Um, and just as you were talking about that, I definitely have a question that a lot of students are kind of res that resonates with them. And even with myself, why did you end up deciding to go back to school to get your MBA? Like where were you in your career and what motivated that decision? So I think where I was in my career, I knew that I wasn't go going to go any further with my company. Um, I knew that I was pretty much tapped out. Everybody who was there was going to stay there. Um, I knew that I had the talent and I knew that I had the ability and the knowledge, but it wasn't formal in any which way. I wasn't working for a PNG. I was working for a smaller shop. I needed, I knew that I needed an edge. Um, I had the Columbia background. So I had this great alumni network that, you know, is, is pretty substantive, but um, I knew that I needed something else. I needed another network and I needed really to, to be polished. And I think that's the best way I can put it. Um, I needed good polishing and I needed that extra step um, to compete with the other candidates out there. Um, it couldn't just be on my, on my charm, right? Like mm -hmm. um, I could, I just can't convince somebody that I know what I'm doing based on, you know, some, you know, antidotal story or, or, so I, I decided to go back to Florida. And the reason I chose Florida, partly because it was a one-year program, um, partly because it was incredibly affordable uh, compared to other top-tier programs. Um, but the fact that I could do it in one year and I was already older uh, was incredibly beneficial to me. So I could just bang it out, get back right back into the career force, um, right back into, you know, doing what I know, what, like, you know, what I do well. So uh, that's, that was really the impetus behind me getting my MBA. No, that's definitely a good point. I know when I consider if I want to get my MBA in the future, I always think of it as, oh, like it's the way to take myself to the next level. If I've already Absolutely. gotten to the point where I can't grow further, but you brought up a really good point that it opens up another alumni network for you to utilize, to get where you want to be, um, which I hadn't even considered. So thank you for bringing that point up. Um, and now to move into our theme of diversity and inclusion, um, what challenges have you faced as a woman in corporate America and how are you able to overcome them? I think some of the challenges are inherently my own challenges, right? Being a woman, sometimes we're, we're a little bit nervous to speak up or sometimes we're just not as assertive as we should be um, because of what the gender roles we create for ourselves, right? Or, or what, you know, structurally we've been accommodating to. Um, so some of that, you know, has been me has been my own challenge where I've had to challenge myself to be more assertive and not to be, you know, as reticent to speak up or reluctant. Um, some of the other challenges have been, you know, people assuming that I got hired because I was a woman, you know, or because I'm Latina, like, you know, um, people assuming I'm a diversity hire, which is incredibly offensive. There's just no other way to put it. Yes. Um, and that's a challenge that I constantly have to overcome. Not so much with PNG because PNG is so supportive, but in the other roles for sure. Um, 
especially, you know, in the Midwest where there's less context to um, Latinos, first of all, second of all, uh, geographically, they're not used to New Yorkers and I'm a New Yorker. Um, so they were really, some people were intimidated by the fact that I was one, a woman, two, New Yorker. Um, they didn't understand why I would be as direct as I was. Um, you know, I, I, it, it affected me on my, my review, which was really heartbreaking for me. My first review, I was told that I should be careful of my professional appearance because I was heard using, you know, jokingly using a curse word in my office with the door closed. And I, you know, I had to look at my manager and say, if I were a man, would you have said that to me? And, you know, mm -hmm. he just looked down, turned red, started blushing because he knew that it was a double standard, right? But I was getting pinged for it. Um, I was getting dinged for it. So the challenges are really like overcoming the stereotypes, right? Overcoming the idea that you, for me, it's overcoming the diversity higher stigma, right? Or overcoming the stereotype that I should be, you know, a little bit quieter, not as aggressive or not as assertive, um, which again, it be, creates this vicious cycle, right? Where I'm telling myself I need to be more assertive, but people are getting a little, you know, uh, they're bristling at my assertiveness. So then I just go back more and then you're like, well, what am I supposed to do? So it's really navigating those things. And I think we're in a different place now than we were back in 2015, 2016. Um, there's definitely a change and you feel the change. Um, and I know part of that is P&G being exceptional and their diversity hiring. And um, my particular segment, my I work for purchasing within brand building. Um, and those are all, all the positions of leadership are pretty much held by women, which is incredible. And the support is incredible. Um, but I think that, you know, inherently, whether we like it or not, there's, there are challenges out there still. Um, and it, it's really, it's sometimes difficult to compete with, with the males. Um, like I said, whether that's because of the stigma or because of the idea of what you should sound like or what you should look like, um, those are definitely challenges, I think. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I know I've experienced them myself in terms of the diversity acceptance in schools or people saying, oh, right. that's why you're here. Um, so it's definitely not a good feeling and it's hard to overcome. And you definitely put it in a great context in saying that some of the struggles are internal. It's trying to figure out how you can be assertive and how you can go about doing these things that a man can do out of, out of second nature while not- exactly offending your boss or them thinking that you're, you're too loud or too, uh, too assertive. So that's definitely something that obviously we all need to keep in mind and work on our own imposter syndrome and making sure that we know that we deserve to be there and we worked our way there. So that is, those are some really great points. And then mm -hmm. I know um, you've mentioned that PNG is exceptional in terms of their diversity recruitment and, and their inclusive efforts. So has it been difficult to find colleagues at work who had similar backgrounds as you? Um, you can talk about PNG or other companies in the past, or maybe the efforts that PNG has put in place to make sure that there is diversity within the leadership or even um, just employees in general. It's genuinely not an issue in P with PNG at all. Uh, whether that is finding strong female mentorship or strong female colleagues, um, I think it's. In my, my particular group, I think because we do have strong female leadership, it's very much encouraged that you um, really speak up or share your ideas. Um, there's absolutely a 
a, a really interesting reward system that they have, power U points. But in terms of finding people like me, it's it's hasn't been hard at PNG. My my boss, my director is a Latino from New Jersey. So, you know, we have a ton in common, right? Like he's Puerto Rican, I'm Cuban. Um, you know, I'm from Queens, but I live in Jersey now. So we, you know, there's really level playing field uh, in terms of context for each other. I've been able to find other women that I can connect with really easily. Um, I thought going into it, being a little bit older um, would be a challenge in finding people like me. But luckily there's a, there's a few women that are, that are um, also my age who are really engaged. Um, my boss was amazing. And before I started, reached out to a couple of women who he knew would be great. And they reached out to me in turn and befriended me very quickly, which, you know, in a virtual environment isn't easy, right? Or <laughs> it's, it's hard when it's everything's over team. Yeah. Or, or everything's over Zoom. So um, the fact that he went out of his way to do that was to me just so meaningful and so impressive. Um, and then those friendships, you know, there's, PG has affinity groups. Um, most big companies will have affinity groups, um, and, but we have them specifically within the purchasing function. Um, so the person, one of the people that he reached out to um, immediately signed me up for the women's group. And, you know, now I'm in a fitness challenge that I never signed up for, and, <laughs> you know, in a group chat that I never signed up for. I love it because it's, you know, really does make me feel included, um, especially virtually. So, but I mean, that ha hasn't always been the case. Certainly wasn't the case when I was in Michigan um, in automotive, which is very much an old boys club. Um, fewer women there. Um, it was a lot of engineering uh, heavy tasks. So a lot of engineers, which was a difficult thing for me because I, you know, I, that's not my personality at all. Um, certainly being Latina in, in Michigan was incredibly difficult. Um, they don't really have much context to other nationalities that aren't, you know, some sort of Central American, specifically Mexican. Um, so that was harder. But with P&G, and I guess with time as well, it, their efforts have really made the difference. Um, and again, having worked in my in New York previously my whole life before that, it was a big shock to go somewhere where it was not expected that I would be upfront or, or direct or that, you know, my mannerisms or my personality would be a little bit of a shock. Um, you know, that's sort of how we are in, in New York. And certainly at the University of Florida, there are enough New Yorkers, right? Or enough <laughs> Cubans that, you know, there's, or, you know, Latin Americans in general, where we, you know, we can be loud and be funny and, you know, be a little bit more casual and stuff like that. Um, certainly within the MBA, MBA itself, I, I found the casualness, um, you know, the friendships and the ability to connect. It was the ability to connect with my MBA cohort was amazing. You know, a lot of us are still very close friends. Um, so to roll up and be in Michigan where that wasn't the case. Um, and then now being back at PNG, which is also a Midwestern company, but the vibe is so different because the female leadership and because the the want um, to, to have diverse talent. Um, so it's been, in that sense, it's been incredibly inclusive. Um, which, I mean, I love that you asked that question because I, it was a concern of mine, even at 44, it's like, well, am I going to make friends? It's all virtual, <laughs> you know, but we all need friends. And it's, it's been incredibly helpful because I have a million questions and I, now I have, as I onboard, right. Where I can't walk into somebody's office, I could at least, I have these friendships that I've made where I could ping, ping them and, you know, ask them one off and, and, and get information and stuff. So it was an that's an amazing question. I'm really glad you asked that. 
I'm so glad to hear that because obviously when you go into big companies like P&G or any big company, it seems like it's so hard to find that close knit group of friends or someone to just direct you in the right, um, in the right place. So it's really nice to hear that you were able to find a closer a group of people to answer those questions and to make you make PNG feel more like home and, and the place where you belong. But that's definitely great to hear. And I'm glad that you talked about the ERGs because I know even the summer at my internship, as an intern, we were exposed to all the different types of G- ERGs and all of the um, activities that they they put on and how they try to connect with employees and engage even in a digital um, environment that is, is so challenging, especially starting um, a new job in a digital environment is extremely um, difficult. So I just had a question in terms of how you were able to pivot. I know you talked about the hardships that you faced in Michigan and how it was completely different than everything else you had experienced. How did you come to the decision that it just wasn't working for you instead of saying, oh no, maybe I just need to need to work a little harder or find the people that like are like me? How did that decision come about and how did you wrestle with your internal struggles and what you were feeling was not right and it made the decision to ultimately find something else? That was a really hard decision to make. Um, ultimately, I think the two things that pushed me were the location. I just wasn't happy with, you know, I just wasn't happy with the environment. I wasn't happy with the fact that it snowed so much and there's just very little sunshine and, <laughs> um, you know, the weather's tough, you know, a good 10 months out of the year. Um, I also knew that it just wasn't a right fit. And part of the reason, uh, you know, it wasn't a right fit. So location aside, it was, it really came down to that review that I got um, where, you know, I had been sent to a diversity um a diversity retreat for, for what they call top talent. Um, and it was supposed to foster this great sense of inclusion and really kind of build up our, our morale to kind of fight, you know, some of that imposter syndrome or, you know, really target at, at target some good skills for, for, um, top talent, diverse hires. And, um, that actually came up in my review. Um, and it was, it came up in my review in in a really negative sense, um, so I realized that, you know, the deck was sort of stacked against me. Um, and, and, and I don't, and that annoys me to even say, because I'm not somebody who thinks that, um, I'm not somebody who thinks that the, who I am as a human or, or what gender I am or, you know, what my ethnicity or, or you know, my race is, uh, has any bearing on my ability to perform or, or, you know, what people perceive of me. But for the first time, that's what it felt like. For the first time it, I had experienced that and it was really jarring. And, and the idea that it was far away, I didn't have my family around or my friends around. Um, I found it difficult to to meet people in, in, Mich- in Michigan just because Detroit is just population wise, it's tiny, you know, mm-hmm. that it just doesn't have a lot of people. Um, and most people, were married or, or had kids. And, um, you know, that the idea of not having a, a network and then being singled out at work, um, was more than I could bear. And if for the first time I had to make a really difficult decision and say, I could get past this. I'm smart enough to get past this. I'm motivated enough to get past this. I'm driven enough to get past this, but I just don't want to, I don't, I don't want to have to conform to this. I shouldn't have to um, conform to this. Um, and the best, I mean, I could I could give you a really good illustration of that if you want me to illustrate that out. Um, yeah, I would love that. So at this retreat, you know, we had this, um, 
the person who was in charge, the person who put it together, the person whose baby it was, was really high up in the electrical center uh, sector. Um, everybody loved him. Um, he was just a great guy. But he was, you know, I think he was, uh, might have been a VP at that point. Um, and he and I had gotten talking because he went to the University of Southern Georgia and they unfortunately had beat us in like 2014 and it was embarrassing. <laughs> um, so we had a conversation and we laughed about it and we were talking about going to see a game, um, really making a connection via football. And um, when we had our final day, um, we had to present, my team picked me to present. And once I got up to present, uh, there were questions, there was a Q&A session and somebody had a question behind him and I pointed and he just started speaking and, you know, just cut everybody off. Um, and part of that we know now, right? Like, cause we, we're, we're so much more in tune to the fact that again, we have certain privileges, right? So him as a white male who is a VP, who's used to being the person in charge immediately spoke up and cut the person off. And I completely understood it. Like he's used to being in charge, right? Like he's used to being the top dog. The way that I dealt with that was making a joke, you know, and I was like, I can't even remember his name right now. Let's say it was Brian. I was like, Brian, I know you're used to being in charge, but you know, I was actually pointing, I was actually referring to the person behind you um, and, you know, really used humor to, to diffuse the situation. He giggled, he laughed. He actually came up to me afterwards. He was like, oh, you know, joked around about it. There were a couple of female leaders from the automotive group um, there who were so impressed by it that they asked me to speak at a round table that they were having for women in manufacturing the next week. Um, and they introduced me and they were just effusive. Like she did such a great job of handling the situation. She had, did such a great job of diffusing the situation, using humor. You know, women can use humor because it's less off-putting or less, you know, direct. And it was really smart and was really great. Um, and I was really happy. And I went back and told my boss about it. And I was like, this is so cool. I had this moment where I was, you know, I was recognized for for handling a situation calmly and, and for, you know, um, having high EQ. And he was like, cool. Then my review came around. Um, and uh, that specific instance was mentioned where it was said, where I was told, I should not speak to Brian that way. And, you know, that was inappropriate of me to address him the way that I did. And I looked at my boss and I was like, but I, I told you this happened. I, the manufacturing group had me talk about it. I don't understand how, I, I don't understand what's happening. And I realized, I realized who the person was that went back and told my two up. I realized it was about my supplier diversity efforts. And it was about, you know, I guess, you know, him, I don't know, wanting to, thwart my supplier diversity efforts like I put the pieces together um so I was you know put in my place so to speak um and I rolled it up eventually you know once I knew like I said that's what put me in the mindset of I need to get out of here this isn't the place for me can I deal with this sure do I want to no and once I had secured um another job I went to the women who had asked me to be on the council I was like this is this came up on my review this is what was said in my review um I was like I don't want to roll it up I, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. I'm leaving, but you should know that this is, that this became a punitive thing for me, that I got punished for this. And um, they were horrified, but you know, at that point, the damage was done. I knew that I wanted to go. Yeah, no, that definitely, that completely clarified your decision. And it kind of just goes to the message as to knowing your limits and knowing whether you want to stick around and try to make something work that clearly wasn't working. That clearly right. was affecting more than just your job, but also just, 
your your well-being in terms of how you enjoy doing what you were doing so that's definitely a great lesson and I think everyone listening can will have a moment in their life where they have to make a decision that is extremely difficult to kind of think through and come up with the best way to handle it but at the end of the day not everything will work for us and and knowing when the line when to draw that line and when to just say there is something out there for me that will work and will not feel like this is super important so thank you for sharing that incident because it definitely was something that should not have happened. And it's unfortunate that it, it continues to happen in, in corporate America and beyond. Um, yeah. And just to, just to add for that for one second, it was, it was a difficult decision for my, to make for myself to, to advocate for myself because I normally would have just taken it. And I normally would have said, all right, well, I just need to be more careful about what I say. Um, but it was a, it was a watershed moment for me. It was an inflection point for sure where I was like, wait, but I don't need to because, you know, mm-hmm. again, part of that imposter syndrome, like, should I even be complaining? Like, I'm, sh- I'm lucky to have this job. But like I said, inflection point where I was like, this is, this doesn't need to happen. And also, it was extremely impactful that even as you were leaving, and you could have just put that completely behind you, you notified someone in leadership so that it hopefully wouldn't happen in the future. So knowing when to advocate for yourself, like you mentioned, is super important. And knowing that you don't have to just take whatever leadership says, because they're in power, because sometimes they're wrong. And sometimes they do things just because they have the power and no one has told them that that's not the way things should be done. So that's extremely important. Um, And I definitely think that we're going to experience it in the past. And I think most of us as women, we just take it and we're like, okay, like it it was me. Like I said something that was not, not correct or something that someone took the wrong way, but we have to really sit down and think, was it me or was it the way they interpreted it? Or was it because I was a woman? So that's an amazing takeaway. And then just to wrap up this podcast, I love asking this question to everyone that is featured. What is one piece of advice that you wish someone told you um, when you were just starting your career, or maybe when you were making that pivot into um, a different company? I think the one thing, and I sort of piggybacks on what we were talking about, I think I wish I would have been told to trust my instincts, to trust my gut more, um, to be more confident in my own decisions. Uh, to be more confident in my own abilities. Um, you know, I, I could have kept going down the pike with a couple of different companies when I was recruiting. Um, and I took the surefire thing, the burden hand, um, because that's what, you know, I was being told to do um, mm-hmm. rather than trusting myself, knowing that I would have had other opportunities with other companies that would have been, you know, closer to home or more of my interest. Um, so I wish I would have been told that, you know, I was, as capable or, or as able as, as the next person and that, you know, I should have that confidence within myself, um, uh, even though I come off as a confident person. And I generally am, but I think we, we all need to be able to trust ourselves, right? In the, especially now days, right, where we have a million different outlets, right? Whether that's social media or whether that's just like a million different shows, like we're just constantly overwhelmed with information. And sometimes we look for that information, to that information for, for answers. Um, and sometimes the answers are within ourselves. So I, I do wish, and I hope everybody who's listening, um, you know, trust your gut, you know, listen to yourself, you know, what's right for yourself. Trust that. Um, as long as you're doing the work to, to behind it, things work out. I, I love that. And I think that will resonate with a lot of our listeners, especially those who are going through the recruitment process and kind of deciding between offers. It's so hard. I experienced this as I was trying to figure out which offer to take for post-graduation. Sure. It's so hard not to be misguided or mis, mis, um, guided by 
just the stigma and the reputation that companies may have instead of like reflecting and really figuring out what you want to do. Is it the name that you want? Is it the role? Because exactly. I, I had the exact same conflict and I was listening to obviously going for to my mentors and asking my parents and sometimes what your parents want is not what will work best for you. Like you're the only person that knows yourself inside and out. And I think that trusting your gut, like you said, is a really valuable piece of advice. So Kenya, thank you so, so much for being featured on today's podcast. I'm sure a lot of people will take amazing insights from this. And um, I hope you stay warm out there because I know it's freezing. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. And um, you know, I, Michelle knows this about me. Uh, Carly knows this from me, about me, all the career service people. I'm always happy to connect and I'm always happy to, to speak to any student and, and help them in any which way I can. But thanks so much, Valentina. I really do appreciate your time. And unfortunately, Kenya is not a cat mentor like most of her guests. So if you do <laughs> want to reach out to her, you will have to look for, um, look for her on LinkedIn. Um, and like she said, make sure that you're always connecting. And thanks again, Kenya. Thanks. Thanks.